appreciate your donations. Thanks again. I'll be back next week with another Jam Band show. Houston. <laughs> I don't know how to say it. Hello, Houston. Live from the KPFT studios, it's the Houston Hour with Houston historian and TV's Mr. McKinney and Heidi Vaughn of Heidi Vaughn Fine Art. Now, sit back and relax as we bring you an hour of all things arts, entertainment, history, and Houston happenings. Here's Mr. McKinney. Hello, Houston. It is Friday, February 16th. It's Mr. McKinney here with Mr. McKinney's Historic Houston and the Houston Hour Radio Show coming to you on the KPFT Airwaves. My awesome co-host, Heidi Vaughn with Heidi Vaughn Fine Art. Say hello, Heidi. Hello, Houston. Hi, Mr. McKinney. Well, I am thrilled. I am excited, folks, because we have with us kind of a, it's the future show. We have with us all these amazing young talent on the show, including your buddy, actually, Patrick Moore is going to be joining us as our first guest later on. He's super talented. I saw him perform the first time at a James Searle's 80th birthday. It was fabulous. Oh, that's a big deal. People still talking about that big event on April, so that's awesome. We have with us on the history side, Brianna Drisdell, and Brianna is going to be joining us a little bit later on as well. She is an up-and-coming leader within the commercial real estate realm. She's really big with Irene. She's really big with a major commercial property in Southwest Houston. So I'm just so thrilled to have her on the show. And her and her father did a really, really cool thing for public safety within the Third Ward. So we cannot wait to interview Brianna later on in the show. But Heidi, what about the arts calendar? Everybody wants to know what's going on with Houston's arts calendar. Well, there's some great things going on. I recommend at the Blaffer Art Museum, which is the museum associated with the University of Houston, Intimate Confession. It is a curated group exhibition. The curator is just Jennifer Teets. The works tell the story of intimacy and infrastructure. There are lots of public programs around this exhibition. It's up through March 10th. And then for everybody who wants to really get into Black History Month, I am recommending the Afrobeats in America Festival. It's a ticketed event at Discovery Green tomorrow from 2 to 10. All day long are special events for the kids and grownups too. Look at that. There's lots to do around Houston. Thank you again to Heidi Vaughn and Heidi Vaughn Fine Art for giving us all these great recommendations. Well, and I can't wait till next week's show too, because everybody should know it's kind of building on this whole theme of these young energy up-and-comers that have just made waves legendary in some respects, including our guest next month, because we have with us somebody very special, Heidi. He is a top designer. Mm. You know the name. Tell him about your buddy for next week's show. Oh, Jonathan Blake. I aspire to have him design something for me. (laughs) He's a very young, incredibly talented fashion designer who's created works for everyone from Lynn Wyatt to Miss Universe. Oh my goodness. So folks, do not miss out on next week's show. We have with us also on the history side, Monique Johnson, who is a skilled nonprofit fundraising professional. She's a leader within Rotary here in Houston, and she's just somebody who's going to plug us into all things nonprofit with the many organizations she's worked with directly. So we're looking forward to next week's show. Hey, I should really mention, it's winter drive time. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, Heidi, you mentioned last week about the brick. People were able to purchase a brick if they were so inclined to do so. There's also t-shirts, there's mugs, there's koozies, there's tote bags, there's all these great things at kpft.org. And you can go to kpft.org, hit the donation button. As Heidi always mentions, make sure we get credit, right? Oh, yeah. Please mention the Houston Hour when you make your donation. And please do make a donation. If you're listening now, that means you listen to the show. And the station really cares that our listeners like us and they reward us by giving the station funds that help keep everything going. So we're so grateful to you oh, for anything. You absolutely. You know, Sandy Wyman and Marla Blue and Robin Lewis, all those folks in the office here at KPFT, they look forward to us making sure we 
reach our goal. And folks, we have not reached our goal last week, <laughs> so we need your help in reaching it this week. It is so easy to do. I cannot tell you what $20 means, what $10, $15, even $100 if you're so inclined to do so. It or, matters. Or like me, give a little bit every day. Yeah, there's a great program that you can give, and you can give it any amount, which is where they just charge your monthly credit card is something you agree to. Or if you do it at the $50 level, you get a brick. This brick is a substantial brick that both Heidi and I have both committed to. It's a wonderful brick that has your company's name on it or your name on it or even a special message to a special loved one. And that's something you can give. It's a lasting gift to KPFT. So once again, go to kpft.org, click the donation button, make a donation and do it in honor of the Houston Hour. You know what I just thought of? If you made a mistake and you forgot to give your Valentine a present for Valentine's Day, why don't you give them a brick with their name on it in front of KPFT? That's perfect. You can even say that you ordered it last week and then, (laughs) you know, it just hadn't come in yet. I love that idea. And you have until the end of the month in February to help us reach our goal with our winter pledge drive. So make a donation, go to kph.org, as Heidi mentioned earlier. Great, great get out of the doghouse gift, (laughs) special gift like that too. Well, Heidi, we shouldn't waste any more time. We should get started with our very first guest. Thank you, Mr. McKinney. Well, it's a real pleasure to introduce our arts guest today. Patrick Moore is the cellist with the Axiom Quartet. It's your first time on the show. Patrick, welcome to the Houston Hour. Hi, thanks so much for having me here. Well, I have to say I was so delighted at my experience when I met you. It was the occasion of James Searle's 80th birthday, and there was a big event. It was Earth Day weekend in 2023 out at the Locke Searle's Center for Art and Nature in Splendora, Texas, where there were art installations in bowers in the forest. And you had been performing on top of, first of all, imagine this beautiful weather, a gorgeous forest-like setting. Uh, Carlos Canule and Rachel Gardner built this white sort of staircase going up, and you were at the top of it, and you were performing the cello to an original composition by Chris Mm -hmm. Becker, who has been on our show. And Chris Becker, in addition to being an arts and music writer, is also a fabulous composer. Absolutely. And can you talk a little bit about that music that he created for you to perform that day? That was a true collaboration with Chris Becker. He and I have known each other for a great number of years. We had come to concerts of mine and we became fast friends. And at one point he had me come over to his house and gave me some minimal instructions on what to do. And I improvised over some music that he had written. And then he took that and digitally manipulated that and used that as a soundtrack for a film that his wife had made. And now it's getting played, I think, in New York somewhere. It was a really awesome project. Later on, Chris contacted me and said, Patrick, I want to get back to writing classical music where I write everything down and then I want to work with you to make sure it makes sense for the cello so it's idiomatic for your instrument and that it works well. And he ended up writing a beautiful five-minute cello solo that gradually evolved over about six months. He would send me proofs of it, I would read it, and then send the recording back to him. And we just kind of gradually shaped this beautiful cello piece. I love collaboration. Love it. Now, the funny thing is, is when he proposed it to me, he said it was going to be in a bower and I really didn't understand what a bower was because you have to think about yourself in a forest and imagine when trees fall. The the canopy of the tree actually creates fairly low-lying vegetation because of the lack of sunlight. So when the tree is felled, you're left with basically a circle of low-lying vegetation with trees surrounding you. And in the Grimshaw area, they took, was it 12 bowers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was 12 bowers and so then you have like this beautiful forest Glen, like I think twilight, but a little bit more sunny. And you go there and then there's these incredible art installations. You're just kind of wandering through the forest and then all of a sudden you're just kind of emerge into this open area yes. and you're transported into a different world. Yes. And there were birds tweeting and I think Rachel had created some animals that were around you. And there was a wonderful poem by Ruby Searles oh, I uh, love that, poem. that she read. And I know I posted all this on my social media way back. You would have to dig deep into it, but it's there. It's definitely worth a listen. I grew up classically trained in music, and my sister is a professional symphony musician. I have heard a lot of classical music, and I instantly could hear that you really were very well-trained. Where did you do your education? I am a proud product of the Texas Music Education Association. 
I grew up in Midland, Texas, and they had music classes for me all the way from kindergarten through fifth grade. And they asked me if I wanted to play a string instrument. And I said, absolutely, I would love to. I, my parents kept me calm when I was a little baby by playing classical music. Then they yeah, asked Classical me to, music can be wonderfully calming. Absolutely. It made me less fussy. So then they asked me, I wanted to play violin, but they wanted me to play cello for some reason. So the teacher was like, well, you can either play this tiny screechy little thing that you're never going to sound that good at or the big, beautiful, robust, gorgeous cello. And I it's said, such I, an emotional instrument. I took the hint and I picked cello mm-hmm. and I'm glad I did because mm-hmm. I've never looked back. Such a beautiful instrument. And so I finished high school in Midland, Texas, and then I went to Chicago and studied at Roosevelt University, which is a school with just an entirely fascinating history and the civil rights movement. Einstein was one of the founders of it. And a I'm familiar with it. I'm from there. Yeah. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous and building. And great music school. And really good. I had excellent instruction there and I really felt steeped in the culture of Chicago and never wanted to leave. And then I was auditioning for grad schools and I was lucky enough to get into Rice University studying with a very famous cellist named Len Harrell. And I was thrilled to do that. And I said, okay, I'm going to move to Houston. I'm going to stay there for two years and then I'm going to go somewhere else because I want to explore the world. And I fell in love with Houston. And the Shepherd School of Music is famous. It's yeah. a wonderful school. And now you're teaching at University of St. Thomas? That's correct. How long have you been there? I should really keep a diary, but I think it's <laughs> been around nine or ten years now. A long time. Okay. My daughter did her undergraduate degree there. I love that school. It's so small. Yep. And so everybody really knows you and cares about you. But then the people who are there are really very serious. It's a really fine institution. I have a super high opinion of that. So let's talk about the Axiom Quartet. What is that? So the Axiom Quartet came about as a desire as a musician to seek the highest level of music I possibly could. As my career as a musician was unfolding, I realized that if I want to pursue music and really understand it at a very, very deep level, that takes time. It takes a lot of time. And with your typical professional organization, you have maybe three or four rehearsals and you come very well prepared and you can generally present a very good product. But I wanted to actually explore the, the deepest level of music humanly possible. And I found three other friends that wanted to do that as well, because within chamber music, you have a lot more flexibility to spend time with the music, to really let it evolve and spend literally an hour on one note. And that's where I wanted to be artistically. And so that's why we founded the Axiom Quartet. Axiom is a mathematical term. I'm a bit of a math nerd. And it, it's an inherent truth. And for us, it was the inherent truth of pursuing the beauty of music. Oh, I love that. Who else is in the group? Our violinists are Matt Lammers, Dominika Densevich. Don't ask me how long it took me to pronounce that name. Mm-hmm. And then Katie Carrington. Mm-hmm. So are you all relatively the same age? Actually, surprisingly, yes, we are. Mm -hmm. And where do you perform? We've chosen a new home. Pandemic kind of shook up where we are performing in Houston. And as it turns out, Lambert Hall, where Opera in the Heights has been performing for years, has recently been acquired by a group of organizations. And where I see Mr. McKinney nodding, like he probably knows something about this. Well, under the leadership of an amazing lady who we've had on the show before as well, folks. So, I mean, Ever worked with Roco before? Yes, I have. Oh, excellent. You yeah, see? I know Alicia Lawyer very the well. The one and only. We're in a very small town. Yes. I love what they did. We're going to have her come back on the show, Heidi, and talk about this project. It's still being evolved and going to fruition, but literally it's individuals who love music, love the community, love the arts, and saved this space from being demolished or being townhomes or whatever it could have been, possibly. Yep. So there is no zoning in certain parts of Houston, well, in all of Houston, but specifically in this historic neighborhood. So kudos to her and everybody. What, came what can you tell us about the building? Well, it's an historic 1920s building built. It's a church, and Lambert Hall is its just such a unique space. There's no place like that left in Houston. We've torn down all these other similar equivalent spaces of the time period, and it's right on Heights Boulevard. It's got great location for everything. It's proximity to, and I'm sure amazing acoustics are better than what it could have been like when it was just a church space, auditorium space too. So yeah, but we'll get her back on the show because she'll talk all about how they put it together and, and what's to come. There's so much more to come. So the interesting thing about the space and why we decided to be there, A, is because I love the Heights. It's such a beautiful central location. And I've been performing with Opera and the Heights since I pretty much left school, so like 15 years. And I love everything about Opera and the Heights' mission, and I like the space quite a bit. And what I didn't know being there for more than 10 years is that just north of the sanctuary is another performing arts building. So it's actually a performing arts complex. And they've kind of modified the space in the north, which was more of a traditional church 
church space and turned it into a kind of a chamber music hall. And it's a a beautiful kind of, I want to say like three squares that meet each other so that you can see the center. It's a really neat space. And we chose that because we wanted to find a space that was as acoustically pleasing as we could possibly find. That's, That's one of the big challenges for us as a quartet. We do perform everywhere. Like, I can't tell you how many places we have performed in different places and centers in China and around the United States. And acoustics are the number one thing because we are an acoustic-based instrument. And so we're hoping that this is going to be like the place for us in Houston to find just the right sound for us. Yeah. And what type of music do you like to perform? That is an ongoing discussion and a really fun debate for the quartet because we really, really like all music. And it's a real challenge for us because it would be easier if we could just have a niche, Mm -hmm. if we could just do Baroque music Mm -hmm. or just do modern contemporary music by living composers or music of the Renaissance. If we had some sort of niche, it would be a lot easier. But the thing is, is we really like music and we like all music and we just can't seem to pigeonhole ourselves into one genre. seems like we do typically perform more modern music from the 20th century, which has seemed to be a theme from our music this season. But we also so there for a number of years, we mixed Michael Jackson and right next to Beethoven. And oh, you're did. kidding. Yeah, it was concerts where we just like did every type of music. And we still actually have a series of music called our jukebox concert series, where we go to different coffee houses and then we give everybody our song list, it's a song list of like 500 songs and say, we could decide and play at you or you could pick what you want to hear and then we'll play it so that you can be happy and we could be happy. We like all the songs on this list. So, oh, wow. So why don't you pick and, and join us in the activities. So sometimes the Cranberries, sometimes sure. David Bowie. Wow. It's great. It's a lot of fun. And we decided to distance the classical music. And I could tell you a little bit of how the sausage was made. We used to put classical music in with the pop music mm-hmm. because I believed that we should respect our living songwriters as much as we do our composers. I think they're just as valid artists and oftentimes we distance them. And then I discovered there's this issue with programming Beethoven string quartets. And I really can't understate this because I live with music every single day. Mm-hmm. Beethoven really does overshadow most everybody else. Mm-hmm. His late string quartets are considered transcendent. And mm-hmm. it's the big reason why I play in a quartet. And whenever you put that composer next to pretty much everybody else, it makes them seem like they've been composing music for just a couple of years and they're amateurish. Wow. And so we decided to try and keep music at a high level with just classical music concerts. And now we have the pop music concerts that are t- slightly separate to make those a little bit more fun. Well, I I think the the addition of that pop music is really important. I know that we see with the Houston Symphony and other symphonies across the country that they're performing things like music from video games or music from Star Wars. And what I think is great about that is it makes this genre of music more accessible to younger people who may not have been exposed to it in their own homes growing up. And I think, you know, people feel like, oh, I don't know anything about that. That's not for me. It's kind of like my art gallery. You know, if you didn't grow up looking at art and your parents didn't collect art, you might feel intimidated to walk into an art gallery, which is always amazing to me because it's like, it's just me. Uh, There's nothing scary in here. But some people are intimidated. And I think for young children, you know, the story of Peter and the Wolf is a wonderful introduction to classical music and an introduction to the instruments. And if you have the book or a good storyteller telling the story along with it, it really brings it to life and makes it not intimidating at all. So I think it's a terrific idea idea to have those kinds of offerings and to mix them in together. Why not? I love the comedian from England, Stephen Fry, mm-hmm. and he's an enormously passionate classical music consumer. And occasionally you'll hear him speak about classical music. And at one point he talked about certain music being gateway drugs that you start with <laughs> Mozart and it gets you hooked. And yeah. then after Mozart, you somehow like saunter into Beethoven and it eventually it'll lead into maybe Chopin. And then somehow you discover Strauss oh, and then mm-hmm. you get to Schoenberg and Shostakovich and then somehow you're listening to Messiaen in the dark while drinking scotch. (laughs) (laughs) That's very cute. There's That reminds me, it would be a better story if I remember the details. There's a scene in, I think it's Manhattan by Woody Allen, where he's laying on the sofa coming up with reasons to live. And in his list, he comes up with, you know, a Mahler symphony or something. But yeah, I think a lot of young people, you know, are playing Mozart for their babies. And that is sort of the entry point. It's very easy to like. I think, isn't much of the tempo sort of at the pace of the human heartbeat? Is that one of the reasons people find it so relaxing? It does 
coincide with that, that our, our resting heartbeat is roughly around 60 beats per right. minute. Yeah. And a lot of classical music is at that tempo as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's necessarily just because it's calming, but because it's just the easiest thing to connect to. It's also the seconds on a clock. And it, a lot of music centers around that time. Yeah. I want to circle back to what you said about acoustics and how important they are to you. I wonder, have you ever performed at Festival Hill? And do you know what that is? Absolutely. I was a student at Festival Hill back in 2001. And I was there just this summer visiting teachers there that I was friendly with. It's a small town. It's a small connected I, I've been world. trying to get James Dick on the show for a while. Oh, he's a lovely human being. I agree. And, and uh, Alon, who's there as well, is also very kind. It's kind of miraculous. Can you describe for our listeners what that is. If you want to talk about vision, I would say James Dick is a person you have to talk to. Hill Country, 40, 50 years ago, literally was the middle of nowhere in Texas, and it wasn't on anybody's radar. There wasn't wine country. There was an antiques show there at that point, and people were like well-known to go out there and check that out. And somehow, he decided to buy land out there and start his own festival. And with the help of a lot of very forward-thinking individuals, over the course of, I think, 30 years, he gradually built a really beautiful hall, which I've been to a lot of the halls in the world and in the state of Texas. And Festival Hill is one of my favorite in the state of Texas. It has such a European feel. It's designed like a European opera house where it has the the opera seats and rows going around you, going straight up. And it's all wooden. Each wood panel was hand-carved by one guy over 20 years. And so each one is individually hand-carved. And because of this, for any acousticians out there, you have a lot of uneven wooden reflective surfaces, so the acoustics are excellent. But for a good 10 years, there were lawn chairs instead of proper audience seating because they didn't take out any loans to pay for this. As they got the money to pay for it, they would gradually add on to this building. You know, when I was out there, I said, it feels like a miracle. And he said it was, and it reminded me of, I really admire Yvonne Tuttle Strait, who founded the Brookwood community, which is out on 400 sprawling acres in Brookshire, Texas. Texas west of Katy. And I said, I don't understand how this exists. It's the home to hundreds of functionally disabled adults who grow plants in 40 greenhouses. We had her daughter came on the show. And she said it was divinely inspired that she did very little to make it happen. And James Dick told me exactly the same thing. He said it was meant to be and everything, every step of the way has always fallen into place just organically and miraculously. But you go out there and it has an amazing feel. And I will say back a long time ago, I used to be active as a master gardener and I was in charge of the herbal display gardens in Harris County at one point. And we used to go out there and we took our cuttings from out there and master Madeline Hill was a very famous herb gardener. She wrote the book, Herb Gardening in America. You were answering so many questions I've had over the years about the herb garden out there. Yes. The last time I was there, it was in a state of disarray, but it was just magnificent. And we used to take cuttings from there. And she was one of those incredibly brilliant people who had this fabulous memory for where, you know, I would say like, Madeline, where did you get this? And she would say, oh, in 1961 in Malibu, I took this cutting. And the fact that everything that's out there is there is just astounding to me. And I love that you've performed there. I still perform out there somewhat regularly. I've developed a relationship with St. Cecilia Church there. And every now and then I'll go out there and perform. I'm in the church, a very, very little tiny church in the center of Round Top. And the quartet's developed a relationship where every Ash Wednesday, we go out there and perform very serious classical music. For Ash Wednesday, we did a late Beethoven quartet. And that was a very magical experience. Do you have a place like that in Houston where you love to perform? This is a very strange thing to answer with, but I actually love performing at Houston's airport system. Oh, oh! I know Alton Delaney is going to love to hear that. <laughs> I do. And it's it was Alton Delaney is where we actually first met at the first performance, and we didn't know who each other were. Mm-hmm. We just happened to stand next to each other because I was wanting to watch what Alton Delaney was doing in his space to activate it with a performance. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, the, the show that we did with Chris Becker and Rachel, everything was white. It was very, very white. And I decided I wanted to join this ethos. So I wore everything that I was wearing was white as well. And then Heidi looks over at me and not knowing that I'm going to perform and there's a reason why I'm wearing white. She's like, there's no way you're going to leave here (laughs) without mud all over your pants. Uh Oh, did I say that? I only need like 20 more minutes and then we're good to go. Of course, I did leave with mud all over my pants. It was muddy that day. But going back to the airport. So Houston Airport System has this really incredible performing arts organization called Harmony in the Air. Yeah. 
and it's actually funded by the airport system. Yeah. And th- I can tell you all sorts of things about this program, but I'll just start by saying when I perform at the airport with my quartet every other week, it happens every single time that people come over to me and say, I can't believe you guys are here. I am so glad my flight got delayed and I Aww. could listen to you guys perform. It happens every single time. Said no one ever. <laughs> I'm I know. so glad my flight was delayed. <laughs> it happens every single That's time. That's why it keeps winning all these awards. Yeah. You know, when I was an oil and gas wife for 20 years and we lived abroad and I traveled with little kids in airports around the world for years and I really do care about airports and the airport experience, especially if you're traveling with young people. Thedra Color Ledford, who I represent through my gallery. Thedra is so fun. She's amazing. So she did such a great job with her residency at the airport making art while people walked around her and talked to her about it that they gave her her own. I think she's her title is the Art Ambassador to the airports or something like that. And she makes everyone's trip better by helping them, either talking to them about what she's doing or helping them make their own art while they're there. And it really does just take everything down many notches if you've got this travel stress. So there's about 20 to 25 performing arts organizations that are both bush and hobby from 12 to 3, Monday through Friday. I make the joke when I'm performing there, it's plan your travel accordingly, but some people do. And so then you could, like, you know, you're going to be sitting there and waiting. Why not enjoy a performance? In addition to that, the Houston airport system through Alton's leadership has been winning tons of awards for art in the airports. So it actually, you can get your steps in and enjoy (laughs) world-class artwork. And this is a hard thing to understand when funding programs like this. So what happens is that our airport systems are actually evaluated and rated. They're given a grade on a worldwide scale. And the higher our rating, like we get five stars or something like that, the more airlines are attracted to come to our airport system. So Mm -hmm. if we're a very high-end, beautiful airport, we have airlines like Emirates come in and want to service our airport. And this is also hard to understand, but the more airlines that are coming to our airports, the lower our airfare is leaving from our airport system. So it seems strange to invest in art, you save money on airfare, but it's working. Well, they have a percentage for construction budget and those kinds of budgets. University of Houston has that too and lots of other places, which is why they have such great collections. And many of the artists I represent are in the airport collections. I was delighted to sell. I used to fly Qatar Airways a lot because I lived in Qatar for four years and I sold them a wonderful Melchin work of art that's right at the entrance to Qatar Airways. And I just love that that's there. But uh, Susan Budge, who you met at James Searle's birthday, a gift from the Bower, she has work. Lots of the artists we represent have worked. She has the piece that's right by the stage where we perform. It's blue. It's the same color as your case. I think that's the one. And it's got woven, yeah, it's by a Jesus Morales. Oh, I would believe it. So Patrick, let people know where they can get a hold of your social media handles, all that great stuff. I think the best way to find me, I'm most active with the string quartet, Axiom Quartet, A-X-I-O-M as in mother, Q-U-A-R-T-E-T, just axiomquartet.com. But we're on the Facebook with Axiom Quartet, and we're also on the Instagram with Axiom Quartet. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us on the Houston Hour. We're going to break for some message. Come back with more of the Houston Hour on 90.1 KPFT Houston. Houston, Doc Fest Jazz Festival is celebrating 10 years of excellence with a benefit concert on Saturday, March 23rd at 7 p.m. in the Denny Theater on the beautiful campus of Kinder HSPVA, located at 790 Austin Street. The featured artists for the evening are world-renowned saxophonist Walter Smith III, Houston's own Warren Sneed, and composer-arranger Mark Holden. Doors open at 6 p.m. with a meet and greet in the lobby. 
all proceeds benefit the Helen and Bob Morgan Jazz Scholarship. Tickets available online at docfestjazz.org. That's D-O-C-F-E-S-T-J-A-Z-Z.org. Or call 832-784-1781 for more information. Hey Houston, how are you? It's Mr. McKinney with Mr. McKinney's Historic Houston and the Houston Hour Radio Show coming to you during the break. Reminding about the show we have next Friday, February 23rd at 8 p.m. right here on 90.1 KPFT. We are so excited to be closing out the month of February. Two amazing guests. The iconic designer himself, Jonathan Blake, is going to be joining us on the show. You know Jonathan Blake. He's designed outfits for some of the most important people in this city and abroad, so you don't want to miss out. Jonathan Blake is going to be joining us on the show and also Monique Johnson on the history side. Monique Johnson is a skilled nonprofit fundraising leader, and she's very active in the Rotary Club here in Houston. So all things nonprofit and focused on her world. So don't miss out next Friday, February 23rd, 8 p.m. It's the Houston Hour with Mr. McKinnon Heidi Vaughn, only on 90.1 KPFT Houston. Be sure to tune in. Hi, Houston. This is Dawn. I'm the Assistant Director of Events at Contemporary Arts Museum Houston, known as the CAM. I'm excited to invite you to the shows currently on view. They are six scenes from our future and this way a Houston group show. As always, CAM is open and free to the public. For more information, visit CAM.org. That's C-A-M-H period O-R-G. Well, it's that time of year again, folks. It is our winter pledge drive happening here at KPFT 90.1 FM Houston. We are so excited to be able to remind people why the Houston Hour matters because it's a big deal for us here. We've enjoyed doing this show since 2019, and we know that you've enjoyed the show as well because you're listening right now, but we need your help. Every single year we come to y'all four times a year with our pledge drives and we remind you that it does make a difference. Every single donation counts. Any amount makes a big difference, especially when you listen under the Houston Hour. We're like every single show here in charge of raising a certain amount of money to help keep our show on the air and we do need your help. This drive only lasts until the end of the month. So think about that. And it's a leap year, so you got an extra day. How about that? So make sure you make a gift in honor of the Houston Hour. You can do it right now at kpft.org. That's K- kpft.org help keep us on the air help showcase this show does make a difference and matter we focus on the best of houston arts entertainment houston happenings and the history behind our city an oral history for you to be able to enjoy but we need your help kpft.org search the houston hour show make a donation twenty dollars ten dollars hundred dollars fifty bucks whatever you can give there's lots of great incentive gifts that we can give out if you make a contribution at different levels think about that including a brick which i've got a brick heidi vaughn's got a brick and you can get a brick too with the message on it at our Caroline Street Studios. It's a great gift, so think about that. Go to kpft.org, help us make a difference and reach our goal for the winter pledge drive now until the end of the month. February 29th, we need your help. Thanks for being a loyal listener of the Houston Hour. Take care. You're listening to the Houston Hour on 90.1 FM KPFT, a Pacifica radio station. And now back to the show. back from break. Well, Heidi, I'm excited. You know, we love here at the Houston Hour to showcase local and emerging talent. And we have somebody who is a force when it comes to all things in the retail property management area. She was recently Irem's 30 Under 30, which is the Institute of Real Estate Management and manager of a really well-known complex in Southwest Houston. We are talking about the one and only Brianna Drisdale. Brianna, say hello. Hello. Houston. Welcome to the Houston. We're so excited to have you. Well, you you also made waves for something that you did in your community. In addition to having a love and passion for retail management, you're also somebody who loves your community. Let's go back from the very beginning. Tell listeners where you grew up. Thank you so much, Mr. McKinney and Heidi. I'm so honored to be here. We're glad to have you here. Yes. So native Houstonian, born and raised south side of Houston, third ward, OST area. And that is where my heart is. Far as I go, Houston, third ward is always home for me. So just always had a passion for service and community and giving back. And when the opportunity arose, I put my hand up and I volunteered to get involved and to help my community out through public safety. So my dad and I have been addressing 
addressing street lighting issues in Third Ward. This past year, it's been a very interesting experience, but very rewarding when we do see lights get turned on and the community can, you know, possibly begin to feel more safe. Yeah, I read about this in Houston Landing, and your dad is Daryl Trisdale. Yes, ma'am. And you two have been going around identifying lighting situations that need to be fixed to make your neighborhood safer. And it's really making it brighter and safer. Let there be light is what we say. <laughs> That's absolutely fabulous. Thank um, you. And it's something I guess anyone could have done, but you actually did it. Definitely. No real experience doing this. Even when I joined the board of my super neighborhood, I told them, I'm like, you all have a lot more experience than me. You have a lot more knowledge, but I do bring passion and I do bring energy. So mm-hmm. wherever you can use me, place me there and I will do a good job. And they let me go. They let me just jump out there and... And start doing it. So, yes, ma'am. And I think I read that you were a census worker. So you were used to walking around your neighborhood? That is correct. I worked as a strategic partnership specialist with the 2020 census. And Mm so we were basically responsible for creating campaigns to promote the census to different, what they would call, underserved communities. Because people are confused and they don't understand what it is and they... Absolutely. Yeah. My sector was college students. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of confusion on where to count the kids at home, at school, and then just letting people know the importance of it. And through that, I was able to see all of the awesome work that is done in Third Ward. And I'm like, even when the job ended, I'm like, I have to get involved. I can't just go back to my regular life when I know all of this is happening. What are me. some of the things that you discovered? Really just listening and hearing the community, how they felt unheard or what they thought could be improved in the community. Parks, safer parks, lighting, you know, more access to food. I feel like there's a food desert in my community and just different type of funding that the community may not receive because they are not properly counted. So the government doesn't know to send so much funding if they don't know that so many people are there. So, And I think people are afraid to talk to census workers because they're confused about what's actually going on and there's maybe a little bit of fear around it. And so I guess part of your job is you're from the community. So there's a certain amount of trust that they know you, they can understand you. Rightfully so. I understood all of their objections. But like you just said, it was my responsibility to go in and first listen and then try to come up with a solution. We can't just always talk. We have to move towards a solution. So some things, some groups we were able to win over, some we weren't. But hopefully for the next census, people are a little bit more informed and maybe more comfortable getting counted. Well, how lucky for everyone that you were one of the people on the census committee because it looks like not only were you able to really reach them, but you were inspired by the whole process yourself with the lighting and I guess everything else you're doing. So do you still live in the third ward? I don't. I was priced out a few years ago. Oh, wow. (laughs) So I cannot afford to live in third ward. Not yet. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking it into existence that one day I will be back. Manifest it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I live very close to the area. Mm -hmm. So close enough, maybe about 10, 12 minutes away. I can Mm -hmm. still get there really fast. Mm -hmm. Well, that's good. And so where'd you go to school? For high school, Jack Yates Mm -hmm. graduated from the School of Communications and then from there went to Sam Houston in Huntsville and continued to study communications. Well, I know Jack Yates is a great school and a historic school with a super important library. Imagine, Mr. McKinney, do you know some of the stats or facts about the library at Jack Yates? Well, the building itself, former school that goes back to the early days, in fact, now, what the original campus or the one that's right there? Because the one that was original is the old Ryan School. But let's go even further back because I want to make sure people know, what elementary school did you go to? So I went to Foster Elementary. Uh Uh-huh. Marcellus Elliott Foster. And we asked this in the green room earlier. Do you know who Emmy Foster was? No, tell me everything. You know I'm dying to know. Tell all our listeners. <laughs> well, Marcellus Foster was the founder for the Houston Chronicle. He had a column. Mifo was in the newspaper, a very famous column, but he was a reporter for the Houston Post-Dispatch newspaper back in 1901, and he covered a story called Spindletop, and he also purchased an option on an oil well and struck it rich at Spindletop in 1901, quit his job at the Houston Post newspaper and started a rival newspaper called the Houston Chronicle, and the Houston Chronicle would go on to have great success, as all of us know, it really happened with Jesse H. Jones. Jesse H. Jones got involved in publishing because he built Mr. Foster a 10-story building on Travis and Texas Avenue in 1910, and that building was actually there until very recently. I think 2017, they tore it down, so it was a while. Now the Texas Tower's on that property, but just a lot of history with some of these Houstonians, Emmy Foster specifically, and then you would go on and go to Cullen, which is a big deal too in regards to the campus itself. So MLK Boulevard used to be called South 
South Park. And South Park itself, the street, the neighborhood, the area, Cullen was an important school in that growing post-World War II neighborhood of the time period. And I just think those are individuals that have been in Jack Yates. I mean, we can get started on him as well. He's very iconic and significant within the African-American community. Here we are celebrating February during Black History Month. Some of these iconic Houstonians, specifically Jack Yates in the African-American community, would go on to found two churches of notoriety and prestige. And when you think of the Third Ward area, you just think of that school, the love that people have, the passion they have for it. I mean, it's like a collegiate environment alumni-wise. You don't mess with Jack Yates. You don't mess with the principal. You don't mess with the teachers there. In regards to the HIC and the public and things like that, we've seen how amazing the community rally behind the school. Same thing is true of Wheatley also. Wheatley also has a lot of respect. A lot of people in Fifth Ward had the same love and passion for the Wheatley campus. But when it comes to Third Ward, Jack Yates is definitely, and it's a great school. It's because it's got a lot of contacts and connections not too far from University of Houston, too. So you have that environment as well and a positive way for change. I just want to insert, too, as a big fan of the Houston Art Car Parade, Jack Yates High School always has a great vehicle in the parade. Have you participated in that? I I did not know that. Do you know about the Art Car Parade? (laughs) Absolutely. I've been dying to go. (laughs) Okay. It is one of the best events of the year, always. But Jack Yates High School has a big vehicle that includes music and dancing. Of course. Of course. (laughs) And it really is terrific. And I encourage all of our listeners to check out the Houston Art Car Parade. It is one of the most fun things you will do. It's great for kids. It's great for all kinds of people looking for just to have a great time. It's free. And if you want to have a real fancy experience, it's not free, but totally worth it if you want to do that. And you can go in the special VIP pit. You can sit under the tents and be in the shade. And all the vehicles who have something to do, like Jack Yates High School put on a show, will put it on in front of that area. I mean, they'll put it on throughout the parade as well, but you know, the peacock car opens its peacock tail or all that kind of stuff. So it's fun to do that at the VIP, but yeah, they're great. And of course, when I, the other thing I think about with the third ward is just the big history of rap artists that have come out of the third ward. Have you been involved with that at all? Not really on the the music side. I I did have a stint where I was doing some public relations. I read about that. Yeah. Voyage, Voyage Houston. Yes. So maybe I've written some PR or some press releases for some individuals, but not so much. Okay. But I agree. Yeah, yeah Third Ward's got a great history. Definitely one worth taking care of. And well, and the oldest private park at the original time period, the 1871-1872 Emancipation Park, goes back way before the city of Houston had a park in 1899 known as the Sam Houston Park. That's the Houston's first city park, 1899. But it's fascinating because a lot of ethnic groups had their own park. The German community, for example, had Vilkeman Park. In downtown Houston, it was a private park because a lot of times... These different groups have festivals, have ways to celebrate. And then specifically with Juneteenth, they needed a park where they could go. And that's when Jackie Yates and other individuals got together, purchased tracts of land, and were able to be able to create a park for the community. And it wasn't until 1926 till the city of Houston bought the park. And now it's under the city of Houston's guidance. But other than that, it was a private park from you know 1871 to 1926. And that's pretty significant. So the park is a great, as you know, it's just like an incubator for all activity within the Third Ward area. We also mentioned in the green room earlier, we talked about the Eldorado Ballroom. Mm-hmm. And, and now, are, is your dad from Houston? He is. Okay. Where did he go to school? He went to Yates as well. You see? Okay. He went to Lamar too, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. You but see? But he finished from Yates. Yes, sir. Oh. My aunt went there. So a lot of pride from the family with Yates mm-hmm. in Third Ward. Yes, sir. Very, wow. very mm-hmm. cool. So you had a moment in PR and then you went from there into residential real estate and then you found where you really found your niche is in property management. Yes. So, retail specifically. I love retail. Okay, so tell us about that. Well, it's a lot different than the other principles of property management, office, industrial. We are busy constantly. And not that anyone else, that they're not, but I mean, retail is its own beast. There are many ways to charge back tenants. So that keeps us pretty busy with billing and accounting. Then, you know, just being on site. I'm actually at the property. I'm not remote, and this is my only property, so whatever. It's a big property. Yes, over a million square feet. That Mm -hmm. is a big property. So about 100 tenants, and whatever they need, we are there. We're a small team, but we got a lot of heart, and and we try to take really good care of the shoppers as well. Really big on community engagement. We just did some really awesome things, so we're excited to keep engaging the Sugar Land community in Fort Bend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that community is growing. Southwest Houston area, Fort Bend County, nonstop growth in the area. I just keep seeing things spread further and further out. Southwest Freeway, even past Richmond and Rosenberg area. Amazing complexes, the University of Houston, for example, in 
different partnerships on 59 Highway I-69, satellite campuses, and and even Smart Financial and different venues that are happening. Let's talk a little bit about the American Mall. I know that Heidi and I have an appreciation for that too, but so much has changed, especially during COVID, where there just was a time where the mall was like king. It's where everybody went to go gather. It's where you well, wouldn't be seen. In the 80s, <laughs> malls were everything, and the food court, and maybe there was movie theater at your mall, or ice mm-hmm. skating, or roller skating, or whatever. And it was one of those things where you would spend a whole day there, and it was a form of entertainment versus, you know, going to get an outfit. You might go there for that too, but plenty of people went to the mall without really even the intention of buying too much. Mm-hmm. It was just a place to meet with community and maybe see a live performance or something like that, get your picture taken with Santa Claus. I don't know. And then it, it's really changed since then. And of course, during the pandemic, people stopped going to malls. Although I know like at the Galleria, you could go there just if you had a reservation or made an appointment, you could go and shop in a limited kind of way. But I wonder, what are your thoughts about how malls have changed more recently? I agree with everything that you've said. I really enjoy and appreciate the mall environment because I feel like it's own city, almost like Mm -hmm. an airport. Time isn't real in the mall. Mm-hmm. It's its own ecosystem. I'm able to observe young people, old people, people from all types of backgrounds. Plenty of people go to the mall just to go for a walk. Seriously, we have a thriving mall walker community. So very true. But just seeing how trends change, how people interact and even from the food, you know, what oh. are our retailers selling now? And it's just very exciting to see. It's kind of a sample, I guess, of what else is going on in, in a bigger sense. But for sure. Yeah. It's inside the mall. Everything works together, too. Like you want good food court areas with the good retail because if you want people to stay for a whole day or for several hours. And what's nice too about a lot of these malls still, thank goodness, at least the ones that we're talking about now, I can think of is still free parking. And that's not the case with other places that you're going to shop in Houston. You will find even, I mean, the Galleria, for example, but there are places. Oh my goodness, I only do the paid parking. It's too difficult otherwise. Yeah, yeah. That's such a good point. But it's nice to be able to drive up someplace It's still still drive up someplace and then park. And I know that 59 has such a great history when it comes to malls and retails because Mm -hmm. Southwest Houston, 1961, folks, September of 1961, Sharpstown Mall opens up. Texas's first air-conditioned shopping mall. It was a big deal was a game changer and it really drove more traffic to the southwest side of our particular region. A lot of people know what's known as the West Park Curve. When you go on 59 towards southwest Houston, towards Victoria, Texas, specifically from downtown, you will wonder why the freeway abruptly curves southwest and takes you through the town of the area known as Sharpstown and then makes its way to Sugarland and then realigns with 59. And that's because of Frank Sharp and other property owners that gave up property land right of way to the state of Texas, Texas. The freeway was supposed to originally follow the West Park alignment, and it would have continued to go southwest, but a little more to the west on a town called Aleaf. So Aleaf area was, this is back in the 50s, and Sugarland specifically goes back to 1823 when it was a sugar plantation. But if you want to go to 1959, that's when the city of Sugarland was actually incorporated. So you have communities starting to gather and develop in the late 50s because of Frank Sharp, because of Sharpstown. So Sugarland's growth and development as a post-World War II city, really has a lot to do with Frank Sharp's meandering of the freeway right through his residential development to benefit his shopping mall and to benefit the residential community known as Sharpstown, the world's largest residential community in 1955. And then, you know, and then after Sharpstown Mall, we have Westwood Mall, and Westwood Mall also was a big deal in the 80s and 90s, and then sadly is no more. So there's a few malls that are hanging on. I mean, we mentioned Sharpstown earlier, no longer Sharpstown, now Plaza de Americas, and it also has its challenges as well. But I do like working with the older American population and community, how they attend the malls on a regular basis, because it's some of them that maybe are not in a retirement community, they're still in their subdivisions areas. That's their only activity with other people they can do indoors in the heat in different elements. And it's just so wonderful that they also get to feel in place at the mall. I love that. That is such a great point. Mm -hmm. And we're constantly trying to figure out how to get people to stay longer and honestly spend more. So it's got to be more than just the stores. We're trying to create experiences, whether that's entertainment or being able to create memories with your family. How do we get people to stay here longer and to really interact? Because we're competing with e-commerce and people may only come to the mall to return something. But then once you're there, how do we build that relationship with that customer and make sure that the center is clean so that they want to come and the parking is available? So you were 
were talking about fixing the lights in the third ward to feel safer. And I think feeling safe in the mall is a super important thing. And anytime you have large groups of people, there's an inherent danger involved. I remember when one of my kids was little, she had her birthday party at the Galleria at Build-A-Bear. And we had a group of us all standing together with our boxes with our bears in them. And security came and questioned us because we were gathering in a large group. (laughs) We're little kids like, what? But people, you know, people have to be safe and on alert. Are you involved with the safety where you are at the mall? Definitely. We have a really awesome security team and they're constantly going around talking to the tenants about various topics. One may be active shooting, hurricane preparedness, just different things. We host meetings with the tenants where we just come together and we just kind of have not a town hall, but it's a free, you know, everyone can give us feedback. We can give them feedback, let them know about changes, because I think the more that we talk to each other, the more that we can actually have each other's back in case something does happen. Mm -hmm. So we just try to keep the communication as open as we can. Speaking of hurricanes, after Hurricane Ike. Was that the one in 2008? It was Ike in 2008. Yeah. Um, yes, I, we, I lived in Tanglewood and we didn't have any electricity and me and all of my neighbors went to the Galleria and you could charge your phone there and there wow. were a lot of people. Their electricity was underground so it wasn't affected in the way the people in the neighborhood were affected and so the mall quickly became populated <laughs> by people who just needed AC, phone charge to being able to check in with family to let them know their status or whatever. And it really served a good service for the community. That's a great point. I mean, it's a space. It's like the Astrodome. We have this debate about the Astrodome all the time. We successfully use the Astrodome as a shelter for folks in need. And these malls are kind of satellites of that. And we've seen lots of things happen in mall parking, lots in regards to food drives and blood drives and just sure. you know just different ways to organize because there's just such great parking in some of these areas, abundance of parking, if you will, in all malls just by default the way they're designed. But for that reason, as Heidi mentioned earlier, that would serve as a great voting site if you had to do something of that level or, you know, shelter during a disaster. So for those reasons, I think so true. Yeah, I just think that's something people need to think about, too, and support these local businesses. Now, what I found is fascinating in some cases, too, people don't think about this. I know it's definitely true on the restaurant side of retail commercial leases, but little known secret, too, with some of these leases, isn't there like a little bit of revenue share to where if the business does good, then the mall does good? And isn't that something that's a standard, too. People Mm -hmm. may not know about that, but that is something Explain that a little bit of how that works out in a lease. Yeah, definitely. What's it um, called? Percentage rent. So certain tenants do have in their agreement that after a certain break point of sales, that the mall will get a small percentage. So when they do well, we do well. Yeah. And everybody's happy. Everybody's making money. Customers are getting what they want. So I love when I get emails saying that someone's sales went over a month. I'm like, congratulations. You did it. We did it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. working. The mall is working. I told you. And if yeah. ever there's a situation where somebody can't, or maybe when they first negotiate a lease, if they need a lower amount or able to increase the percentage on that level to kind of balance it out. Sometimes it's tough to start a business, as you can imagine, for a lot of people, and especially different climates for the economy. Their budget is such where they can only do this in rent, but they really want to be in y'all's property because they understand the values there or their marketers. Maybe they have a very specialty item that you know benefits a certain community that's in that residential area and they want to be in that mall. Do y'all maybe increase that level to be able to kind of meet them someplace in the middle? At the end of the day, it's a business too. The money that you get from rent, like everything else, goes to improve the safety and the maintenance of the space and it kind of goes into all that but is that something y'all do as well Definitely. That's one thing that I learned and that I kind of appreciate about commercial retail property management. Everything really is negotiable. And you go in thinking... Can I just tell you that's yeah. true about everything in life? Especially art. Right? Uh, crazy art. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, but of, but I mean, of everything. Yeah. I mean, you can... As it should you be. You can negotiate right? anything. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, my dad taught me I mean, the most important thing about a business transaction is that the two parties leave happy. Like they both feel like they got uh, something. I have something mm-hmm. I say all the time, and that is the best deals are the ones where everyone walks away feeling like they won. Yeah. Exactly. That's yeah. what I'm always going for. We've it's got so a great important. leasing team and I'm I'm really, you know, proud of all the hard work that they do to bring in some great retailers. Our team also has a special program to bring in, you know, ethnic and minority owned businesses. So mm-hmm. we really are trying to bridge the gap and bring those great folks in so that the shoppers can appreciate it. And that's it. smart because like we said, everything is regional. So some communities we're mentioning Fort Bend specifically, huge influx of Indo American population wise, for example, right? And that's a wonderful thing in regards to And I'm thinking of K.P. George specifically, who is the Fort Bend County commissioner there of East Asian descent. And the idea of him being a leader for that area, there's a lot of growth. And I think it's important to be able to offer something for everybody, a nice little balance. And we want all businesses to be successful. We want people to have that American dream and that can be accomplished. 
Yes. So what's one thing that you like about the business and that you, I won't say don't like, because I'm sure you like everything about it. One thing you do <laughs> like, and then maybe something that you learned in starting to doing this, because you've done so much in a relatively short amount of time period, but I know there's so much more to learn. Yeah. What's something you've learned so far? And maybe even some advice for a younger individual coming in this particular realm or making the transition from residential to retail. I've really learned to remain nimble, be flexible, and kind of a good and a bad thing. I I really enjoy that every day is different, and I never know what I'm walking into. But sometimes you get so stuck on a particular structure and a way of things going. When you see that kind of going off, it gives me a little anxiety. It makes me worried. But you hang in there, and I've got a great team, so things tend to work out. But I would say just to remain nimble, be flexible. You know, every day is going to be different, and it may be different in your advantage, or it may work against you but you can't give up. The tenants are counting on you. The shoppers are counting on you. That's been my biggest light bulb moment is just to be flexible. Nothing is written in stone. Everything is negotiable. Work would mm-hmm. work with another tenant or on another deal may not work on this deal. And that's okay because that's an opportunity for me to learn and that's a challenge for me to overcome. And in the end, it'll be for my benefit. No, I believe that too. Well, now tell listeners how we met. How do we meet? Well, first, I was stalking you on Facebook. and oh. I was just so amazed with all of your updates and everything. So when I saw that iRoom, our chapter, would be hosting you at our next luncheon, I was just like, this is crazy. I'm, I'm so interested in this guy and his story. So I finally got to meet you at, yeah. our, at a brunch that we did. And you gave an awesome presentation that was just so insightful. And I cannot believe that you wanted to bring me on your show. And here I am. This oh. is great. I still can't believe this. <laughs> oh, I'm good like, for you. No, because. Look, you just, well, first off, I heard about you too before with the project that you and your dad did. I just thought that was so wonderful. It was on the news. It was also, like Houston said, on Houston Landing, Friends of the Show. So we just love folks that are innovative and creative. And really, it's about civic engagement, want to give back to their community, want to be involved. And so much of what I do with Mr. McKinney's Historic Houston is almost always tied to the Houston's built environment, which involves the idea of residential commercial real estate growth. I love talking about it. And we'll have a mutual love and appreciation for our buddy, Jody. Miller, you know, talk about the organization too. Iram has just been amazing to me. I'm just going to insert again for our listeners who may have come in late. We're talking to Brianna Drisdale and now she's talking about Institute of Real Estate Management. Yes, but it's just been something that has just been so important to my career. As I said, I was coming from residential real estate, just selling houses, wanting to get into commercial property management, not sure where to go, had zero experience. So attending their networking events, they just welcomed me with open arms. But basically, IRAM is the professional association for real estate managers. So we're We're a global organization. We get together once a year as a global organization and we have a huge summit where, you know, all the minds come together and we develop new ways to do our job better. There is some lobbying involved and working with the government. So it's just a really awesome organization. And anyone that is interested in, you know, real estate, commercial real estate or property management, I would encourage them to look into IRAM and and see what we're all about. And they named you to their 30 under 30, which is quite a big deal. Yes, I'm I'm still just very grateful, but just putting my head down doing the work and you know wanting to do a really good job and and genuinely being passionate about it and I'm just like it shows yeah thank you the doors are just opening and I'm like oh my gosh it's amazing to be well good we'll let people know how they can get a hold of you maybe social media or maybe your email address how can they get a hold of you yes email is bdrisdale at gmail if you want to email me but probably the best way to keep up with me is on Facebook I have a business page it's just Brianna Drisdale and I put up all type of wacky fun and insightful <laughs> updates about myself about the city maybe Mr. McKinney and just anything yeah. I'm, a, I'm a huge lover of the city the city has made me who I am and I'm dedicated to give back as much as it is given to me so beautiful that's why I do this. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. We thank love you. that. Well, thank you for joining us on the Houston Hour. We're now going to hand it over. Take I care, Houston. been listening to the Houston Hour with Mr. McKinney and Heidi Vaughn. Tune in right here on 90.1 FM KPFT. Stay connected with us on Facebook and Instagram at the Houston Hour and on Twitter at the HOU Hour and the number one. We always welcome show ideas and listener feedback at the Houston Hour at gmail.com. 
And you can listen to this show and past archived shows at kpft.org. Till next week, Houston. Hey, everybody, this is Kevin Russell. I want to encourage you all to support one of my favorite radio stations, a radio station that I cannot say how much it meant to me growing up. KPFT, ladies and gentlemen. Look, it's up to all of us to keep great radio on the airwaves here in Houston, Texas, and everywhere. Radio has a huge impact on the community and on people like me and you. (laughs) And KPFT brings you shows. They're curated by the DJs who love the music and want to share it with you. It's invaluable. So please, please, please give what you can for our beloved KPFT Houston. Call 713-526-5738 or donate online, kpft.org, and tell them Shiny Rib sent you. And keep playing that radio, baby. During our winter fun drive, KPFT is also conducting the annual winter food drive helping the Mana Food Pantry of Third Ward. We are seeking shelf-stable foods or $20 to help Houston's hungry. Walk-in donations accepted at our studios at 4504 Caroline in the Museum District. For more information,